From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. After taking a week to rest and reset, the Gators have a Herculean task ahead of them as a date with number one Georgia looms this weekend in Jacksonville. Meanwhile, not too far away on campus, the reshaped and rejuvenated men's basketball squad is tuning up for its debut in a matter of days. On today's show, we'll open up the Gator Roundtable with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry to discuss the latest chapter in the book of Florida, Georgia, how the quarterback situation is expected to play out this weekend and beyond, the work going on behind the scenes with Mike White's team, and sporting events that still deliver butterflies in the PAT. Then, we'll chat with long snapper and recent scholarship recipient Marco Ortiz about how he ended up in one of the most unusual and anonymous positions on the field, his identical twin remarkably in the same role at TCU, and much more. To get us underway, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan that loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where pet lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. After a one-week hiatus, uh, the Roundtable is back. Uh, Scott Carter, Chris Terry back with us here to talk about everything going on inside the world of the Gators, especially as it relates to Florida, Georgia. Uh, guys, I mean, let's, there's no real reason to, to beat around the bush on this. Um, things aren't great at the moment for the Gators, especially following the LSU game a couple weeks ago. Um, and they kind of, you know, they are where they are, right? They're four and three. Uh, a lot of the big picture goals are, are no longer attainable, but yet there are games to play. And especially when it comes to Georgia, uh, a game that could be very meaningful for the team's momentum, for the fan base, etc. So I guess let's start by just talking about, you know, the, the state of, of football entering this, uh, entering this weekend against Georgia. Well, Adam, I mean, after what happened to LSU, um, you know, they had a week to kind of digest that and work on some of the issues. And if you're uh, if you're not fired up and uh, kind of mad at what's happened, if you're on the Gators team right now, uh, you probably might not be long for the game because these are kind of moments where obviously disappointment, you know, is set in with the fan base. You've got a lot of you got a lot of opinions, a lot of anger out there. Uh, but as a player, as a coach, I mean, you hear them all the time. They do have to block that out. They have they have a game against the number one ranked team in the country on Saturday. And the best way to do to shut everybody up, to kind of get back on the right side of things, you go out there and win. And uh, to do that, you got to they got to play well. They got to play better than they did at LSU. I mean, uh, the offense did some things at LSU that would, you know, wins a lot of games. But the defense, you give up 49 points. You gave up 287 yards rushing to uh, Davis Price, made him look like uh, Bo Jackson or Herschel Walker. I mean, uh, you know, this is a, this is a defense that uh, is going to have to step up on Saturday because Georgia loves to control the game with their offense, and they really haven't been in any danger all season. And that, that's because they they control they control the flow of the game and 
Florida is going to have to find some way uh, to do what they do and to disrupt Georgia and make them a little uncomfortable and, and test them in ways they haven't been tested before. And that's a big ask coming off of what we just saw against LSU. But I think for Florida to win this game, I mean, they're going to have to put up some points. They're going to have to make some stops. And more importantly, they're going to have to dictate at some point in this game uh, their style, their will over Georgia and see how Georgia reacts. Because, again, they haven't really been tested that way this year. I guess if there's anything encouraging heading into the game um, against Georgia, Florida's strength right now appears to be its offense. Um, obviously played, scored 42 points and uh, had four consecutive touchdown drives uh, at the hand of Anthony Richardson in that, in that LSU game. And um, obviously we don't know what's going on with the, the quarterback situation. We'll find out soon enough. We know Dan Mullen has said uh, he plans to play both. I imagine we'll see more Anthony Richardson. We can talk about that in a minute, but as going back to the, the, the point I was about to make the, the, the strength of this team right now appears to be its offense and that would be a, a good thing heading into a, a, a game against a defense that, I mean, you look down the line here on the FBS statistics, I see a lot of ones and twos, total defense one, scoring defense one, uh, rushing defense two, uh, uh, passing defense two, passing defense, passing efficiency defense. You know, I mean, this Georgia's Florida gave up four, 49 points against LSU. Georgia has allowed 46 points this season. Wow. Um, it's a staggering statistic to say the least. Uh, uh, 6.6, I think, what is it? 6.6 points a game average. Now I, I don't know that they've played an offense uh, that, that can do some of the things Florida does. I mean, the best team you could say that they played this year, is it Clemson? Is it Kentucky? Uh, is it Arkansas? It's probably, it's definitely not Clemson. It's probably Kentucky. <laughs> it might be Kentucky. That's right. And, uh, and you know, they, they handled Kentucky pretty well uh, on, on their, on their home field, but Dan Mullen has a reputation of, of being a, an elite play caller and he's going to have to be an elite play caller this week because the matchups don't, when you look at what some of those guys Georgia has on the other, their defensive front, that three man front is tremendous. Uh, what is this? Is, is it, is it, is Jordan Walker, the guy, or excuse me, Jordan, Jordan Davis Jordan looks Davis, like, yes. looks like a Coke machine. I mean, he's what is he? Six, six and a half, 200 or 345 pounds or whatever. And it moves like a, a cat in there. And obviously he's going to be like a top 10 draft pick. So, um, Florida's going to have that. Florida's going to have their hands full. And and obviously Scott made the point defensively. Dan Mullen said earlier, it, 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 it was not a good game for them. Uh, you got to shore up some things. What Georgia, Georgia is going to be a balanced offensive team. They're going to be able to run the ball. Doesn't matter what quarterback is playing there. The, the, the quarterback play is, is going to be solid. Um, like Scott said, they're going to have to have some stops. And I'll throw this in. You can't turn the ball over like Florida has. They're 113th in the nation turning the ball over right now. They were minus four at LSU. They're minus seven underwater in, in turnover ratio. Uh, protect the football, uh, get some stops, and they're going to have to play over their heads. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, it's interesting. You think about, I'm thinking about the NFL, for example. If you're four and three, um, there's still you know a lot of potential left in the season. You can still make the playoffs. All your goals can still be in front of you when you're in the NFL and you're at four and three. When you're in the SEC in the position Florida is, uh, it's it's just not there, right? So it's sort of it's sort of an adjustment from especially from a fan standpoint, which you mentioned, Scott, and that's where I think we get to the quarterbacks, right? Because when you're four and three, and you're a program like Florida that's always thinking championships, inevitably 
externally at least, the thought is, okay, well, what are we going to look like next year, right? And that's why there is so much discussion around Anthony Richardson and what he's been able to do when he's played. Obviously, the most we've seen of him was against LSU in terms of opening up the possibilities of what he can do. Um, having said that, Dan Mullen does not want to name a starter, quote unquote, and you know doesn't really didn't really give a, a lot of a lot of credence to that concept. So, how do we envision the quarterbacks being used at this stage? And and does this stage mean? the rest of the year? Do we think this is going to be a week-to-week thing, or do we expect, seeing where where Florida is now, that whatever happens Saturday is somewhat indicative of the way the rest of the year plays out? Well, I think, you know, as of this moment, Dan Mullen's really the only one who probably knows exactly that, but, you know, I think we saw a taste of what's coming against LSU. I expect both quarterbacks to play probably every game that's remaining on the schedule. But, you know, I remember during that game, there was a point there where uh, I just tweeted that I knew, you know, there's been this talk about quarterback controversy all year, and it's not really been one so much, but it definitely turned into one with what transpired at LSU. And, uh, you know, it's not necessarily anything Emory Jones has done to lose the job. Uh, I mean, he's obviously turned the ball over more than they'd like, but, you know, and that lost LSU. Anthony Richardson had two interceptions and Emory had two interceptions. It was more about, wow, how the team responded to Anthony and how he made some plays uh, that really made that a game after they got down 21 to six. And you could just see a new life in the, uh, on the sideline, on the field. And uh, Richardson just one of those special players. So now Dan Mullen, you know, you're balancing a commitment to, your most high-profile recruit after you took the job in Emory Jones, your future quarterback. And now the guy who you brought in a couple of years later, uh, who maybe was going to wait like Emory did, but now everything's changed and this guy has a special talent. We all see it. I mean, I understand the dilemma there, but, I mean, when you're talking about wins and losses in a fan base like Florida and the expectations at Florida, uh, I mean, Dan Mullen, he's – He's not stupid. He didn't get here, but being stupid. And he's he's gonna, you know, he's gonna do what eventually is gonna help the Gators win the most games. And I think that's gonna be Anthony Richardson. But you know, we're until that plays out like that on the field, we're all just speculating and talking about it. But I think it's gonna take care of itself personally because Anthony is such a, a different kind of a talent than uh, they have. I mean, he's the best athlete on the team. Uh, and I think he's the best quarterback on the team at this point. And I, I didn't know if that was the case until the LSU game, but I'm a firm believer in that now. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good problem to have in my case or in, in the Florida's case, but it also, you hate that that's the storyline here with still five games to go in the regular season, but that's what happens when you're four and three Adam and, and you're out of the playoff picture and, uh, it is really about next season and building for the future. Uh, you know, Zach Carter was asked about that. Like, what do you play for now? I mean, you came back for your senior season or fifth year senior season to uh, play for a championship. And he says, well, you know, it's not turned out like we won't, obviously, but I want to still leave something here. And this is more about helping the guys to start fast next year and for for us, only do that is for us to finish strong this year. So that's the kind of mentality they have to have. We'll see how special quarterback Anthony Richardson is against 
a number one defense in the, <laughs> yeah. in the country because, be, yeah. because I, I, I mean, it, it, LSU is not a good defense. I think they're in the bottom half of the uh, bottom uh, quarter of the, of the NCAA stats. He certainly made some wonderful plays in it, but he made some bad ones too. I mean, his interception rolling to his right. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's not a play you make in high school against Vanderbilt. He made a terrible play rolling to his right, throwing back into triple coverage. So uh, I, I imagine Georgia, Georgia has a has, could potentially make him, make him look bad, but, but he could also maybe make them look bad because we know what he can do in the open field. If he can get away from guys and make some people miss, but I don't think he's going to be jumping over uh, Georgia defensive players. Like he was jumping over uh, uh, Florida Atlantic defensive players. So um uh, to your original point, you asked about uh, this is a program that, that aspires for championships. It's certainly a fan base that it aspires for championships. And think about this before the LSU game, you had fans on social media saying, is this the program we are on New Year's six team just spinning our wheels on, on January 2nd or something like, I mean, New Year's six is out of the window now. Okay. So what you're, what we're talking about here is, is what Scott's point is, putting players on the field and figuring out what, what this program is going to be after this season, um, because you want momentum. And obviously the, the, the greatest momentum shot you could, you could give yourself would be to beat the number one team and your biggest rival, uh, you know, uh, at, at this point in the season and maybe reeling off a bunch of wins, including a win over Florida state. And, and you know, what, what is, what is the, the carrot dangling out there. What's the bowl game carrot out there? Hopefully it's not like the mayonnaise bowl or whatever, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, whatever the hell that is. But um, Duke's Mayo, Duke's, Duke's Mayo. D- Duke's Mayo against Clemson. Is that, is, you know, is, is, is that, is that what the end game is? Maybe it is, but the, it, it is about finding out uh, a lot about this team and finding out uh, some, some things about next season. But I, I go back to what Zachary Card. He want he wants to make a mark. I don't I don't think he could do it at the expense of some of these older guys that are still playing hard. Um, you, you you can't you can't give up on. You have to find out what this team is right now. And um, you're going to play both quarterbacks. But uh, like again, to my point, you're going to see a lot. We're going to see what Anthony Richardson is is truly made of this week. And whatever happens, that 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 doesn't mean that's who he's going to be. I'm not trying to be negative about this or anything, but uh, uh, this 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 is going to be a, a, a hell of a litmus test for the character of the team and the talent of the team, and exactly what they're what you know what the makeup of this team is. Yeah, no question. Florida's got to play. You would think maybe a perfect game. Uh, to beat Georgia. They didn't quite play perfectly against Alabama. They fell short. I think it's clear to most people that this Georgia team is better than Alabama based on what we've seen. I mean, I agree. I, I think from the body of work so far, Adam, I think Georgia is clearly the, the number one team in the country right now and uh, deserves to be where they are ranked. And, you know, I would rate them as a national title favorite uh, here on October what, 28th. So, uh, but the Gators can, uh, I guess they can make their season by, you know, having a say in how that story ends. Turning our attention to Gator basketball again, it always seems to creep up once you get into October and then before you know it, it is upon us. And, and Chris, you know, we're in that kind of, uh, that final preparation stage. Uh, the first public unveiling, if you will, is Monday in an exhibition against Embry Riddle. But obviously, there's been a lot of things going on behind the scenes to get ready for uh, for that opportunity. So tell us uh, tell us about what's going on at the basketball complex with a team that is, again, as we've discussed, markedly different from the one that we saw last season. 
And I think you, you could play that soundbite probably next year and the year after that, the way the, the, the game has changed so much. Uh, and we probably could have said it last year, Florida, you know, just with, with, with the situation with the transfers and um, new blood coming in uh, guys leaving, they can, there's, there's no incentive for them to stay if, if they know that they, uh, that they don't have to sit out for a year and they want to change a scenery or what have you. And obviously Florida, Florida's in that situation with the four uh, transfers that came in and, those guys, while while the Embry Riddle uh, uh, scrimmage Monday night will be a um, a public unveiling, they had a uh, more of a behind the curtains uh, uh, look at where this team is right now. Last weekend, when North Carolina was in town and played Florida in a scrimmage in the Odom, there was an agreement between both the uh, programs to uh, keep the numbers from that uh, uh, scrimmage uh, out of out of the public eye. And I know North Carolina put out some video or what have you, but um, just to kind of put a wrap on that, if you will, Florida won the first half by two mini games, okay? Two 20-minute okay. games. Florida won the first one by nine. North Carolina won the second one by nine. There was no uh, tiebreaker or any kind. They didn't have a three-point or free-throw shootout to kind of get at the – the officials were there for 40 minutes of basketball and the players were there for 40 minutes of basketball and back North Carolina win. Um, but uh, I think uh, the, they took some things away from, from what happened in that, in that scrimmage. And uh, I think uh, the, the, the team obviously is, is much different. You're talking to, there's going to be three transfer players in the starting lineup. Uh, wow. You're talking, yeah, you're talking about Flan Fleming, um, the, uh, the, the transfer from, uh, Charleston Southern, where he scored 1500 points and was a two-time defensive player of the year in the big South conference, Brandon McKissick, a transfer from Missouri, Kansas city, uh, a thousand point score there, defensive player of the year in the summit league. Uh, so those are two guys who are, are, are active, uh, physical, athletic, obviously, and, and got some stuff to them that makes them come. It just seems like they're competing at all times. And that's something that I think this team has missed the last couple of years. The, an anger. I, I, I don't know. We're going to, I want to see it kind of unfold a little bit more um, against a uh, competition. Um, but, you know, I, I think it can be infectious because uh, you got those two guys there. And then you got Colin Castleton at the 6'11 guy at the rim. So now you got like a you got a nucleus of some defense around. Now what now where else are you gonna you're gonna get Anthony DeRuji, who's the best athlete on the team. And at the other position, uh, you're gonna have Myron Jones, the Penn State transfer, who is the best shooter on a team that frankly, I'm saying this right now, isn't a great shooting team. All right. Um, but he, 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 you know, he's a career 40% shooter in the big 10 from the three point line or high thirties, excuse me. Um, but, he, but this team is, is going to be a veteran team. Uh, I think I made this point. There's four guys that'll be 23 years old before the first game of the year. Wow. So that's something, I mean, uh, uh, two years ago, this was the youngest team uh, in the Southeastern conference far and away last year. It was, uh, I think the, the uh, 11th youngest. So, Having a veteran team that competes is something that's going to be different. Now I mentioned those five guys. I didn't mention Tyree Appleby. Tyree Appleby is going to be a guy who's going to he's going to come off the bench and try to provide a little bit of energy. He's taking that role. I mean, they went to him about it, and uh, he was pretty good with it against North Carolina. And we'll see if that carries on. Obviously, they can make changes relative to personnel and what have you. But guy, uh, that guy uh, Tyree Appleby is a guy who's 
I mean, he had he had more turnovers than he had assists last season. Uh, that can't happen from a point guard. Um, uh, CJ Felder transfer from Boston College is uh, another one of those energy guys. Not not offensively particularly skilled, but he's going to get a bunch of. Um, he, he had a nice game rebounding against North Carolina. He's going to get a lot of time at that four or five maybe even some three kind of position. Florida's going to have uh, a lot of options as far as playing smaller because they're not a really big team after Castleton. They have Jason Jatobu who hadn't played a whole lot of minutes, but God, he he's lost about 45 pounds out of him. I mean, wow. and, and he needed to, uh, he was a guy who during COVID it really killed him because he'd done so well to lose weight his freshman year and get in the mix a little bit. And he, once you took him away from um, a support system and the coaches and training and lifting and all that stuff, it, it, it didn't work out for him. And, and he admitted as much. He's come back and he's really dedicated himself to to train. And, he, and it, it's it's obvious by looking at him because he can run up and down the floor. Now, he couldn't even finish sprints a lot of times before or had or couldn't finish them on time. So um, like anything else, it's a the element of the unknown was with this team. Um, and now the people can actually Embry-Riddle Division II team from here in Florida from the Sunshine State Conference. They actually, uh, Embry-Riddle did not play basketball last year. They shut the program down for COVID. Huh. Um, but they are a team that gets up and down. They like to score in the 90s. They shoot a bunch of threes. Um, so good little test. Florida's won 32, I think, consecutive exhibition games dating to 2002 or 2003 season, I think. Uh, so after that, they'll have eight days before uh, the season opener against Elon. And after the season opener against Elon, five days later, they'll play Florida State uh, in a game that'll certainly have a lot of people's attention. I can't wait till we talk about that. Moving on to our PAT, uh, I want to talk about sporting events we still get excited about. And I should say this is colored by the fact that the Braves are in the World Series, which is why I'm so excited about it. It's why Scott is and a lot of the people in, in, in our orbit here in the Southeast. Uh, but I, I do know, especially as sports writers, uh, I've known a lot of sports writers over the years. I'm not that old, but you know. Uh, and sports writers do have a tendency to be kind of jaded, right? Because you've seen so many things. You've been to so many big games. There's a sense of, oh, it just doesn't really get the juices going, right? What I want to know from you guys is what sporting events still get you excited? What still makes you feel the, the butterflies when you're attending, when you're covering, as opposed to ones that have a seen-it-all-before uh, type of approach? It's funny you ask this because I just had this conversation kind of with my 14-year-old daughter the other night because she noticed that I was actually, you know, I usually don't watch baseball at home. I usually don't watch a lot of sports anymore at home, uh, but I was really into the NLCS and now the World Series. <laughs> and she's like, "What are you? Why are you so excited about this?" So I had to give her a little rundown on when I was a kid. The Braves were my first ever real sports team that I got into uh, more than any other sport, and you know they haven't done this in 22 years, and I don't get to be a fan much anymore. So we had this conversation. And I still think for me, Adam, just because of what I said, I mean, baseball has always been kind of my first love. And then college football, as I got older, came up that ladder. Uh, but I still get excited probably most about the World Series. And then you throw your favorite team in there, which, you know, you can relate to the Braves or Chris can relate to the Nationals a couple of years ago. And it makes it that much more fun because when you're working around sports so much as we are, 
and you've been around the block, as they say. I mean, I've covered World Series and Stanley Cups and a couple of Super Bowls and stuff like that and a lot of college events. So, you know, you've seen about everything, but then you're, you you know, you get to be a fan once in a while when, when you pull back from it a little bit. And that's what's happened with me in baseball. I haven't been around it in so long. that I've kind of developed some fandom there again. So World Series is always at the top of my list in terms of my fan interest. But now, if you were to ask me, like, what's one sporting event that I've been to that I love the most, uh, and it's kind of weird, but I, I still say the Kentucky Derby for me. Mm-hmm. I love the Kentucky Derby. I just love the audience. I love the the history there and the stories. And uh, it's just one of those events that, you know, if you asked me to go to the Super Bowl or the Kentucky Derby or Wimbledon, I'd probably go to the Kentucky Derby. That's just, wow. that's just me. But uh, and also like to, you know, you can, where else can you like pull out a $2 bet right in the press box and drink <laughs> and drink a bourbon. They have a, they have a bourbon and a, a betting window in the press box. Man, wow. What else you, what can you do to beat that? <laughs> It's Pete. It's Pete Rose's dream. <laughs> yes, yes. It's Scott Carter's dream too. So anyway, that's that's kind of my uh, my take on that. But you're right. You get a you get a little bit. I don't want to say uh, jaded, but you know you you kind of take some things for granted. And I I try to catch I try to catch myself if I'm in that mode to pull back and say you know what you know there's a lot of people who'd love to be doing this so I appreciate it more. So that's what I try to do. I'm a fan of of the teams that I that I grew up with. I'm not one of these fans that picks and chooses like I like this team way over here. I, I just I just always had a, a, an affinity for the the teams that I that I grew up with, and I've held that allegiance no matter where I, where I've lived. So I get excited about just the start to seasons, but also if if the team is any good and can actually reach the postseason, I certainly get excited about that. And to, like Scott referenced the the Nationals a couple of years ago. Uh, so many years, I think five times before that, they got to the playoffs and never even advanced. So uh, that was uh, something special. But I mean, in terms of if if I completely divorced from from something, I mean, I'm 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 going with the NCAA basketball tournament. I just think you know that that Thursday and Friday, uh, twelve hours of basketball, um, you know, something something not something, but probably two or three somethings crazy are going to happen each of those days. Um, I just think the the drama and the finality of your season ending like that. So, I mean, every game is a game seven. Um, I think you can, you could probably, that's, that's a, that's a kind of interesting or, or kind of a, a, an applicable, applicable uh, comparison. But if you've been to the NSA tournament and you can, you can feel it, you can feel the vibes in a really, really great game. You know, I know that the, the gym is, is separated by the, by the teams, but uh, momentum goes to one team, usually the underdog, and it's just kind of cool how that all happens. And I always get excited. Uh, and that's that's just a tremendous time of year. And um, it's three mm-hmm. magical weeks, and everyone has a team that maybe they jump on a bandwagon with at that time. But um, I think I've come to appreciate it more being involved with it so much as I have been since I I've been back here doing uh, what else because I doing this uh, stuff with the basketball team here, but because. For the longest time, I've, I've you know, it, it was all watching it on TV, and I still got excited about doing that. Like I'm sure you guys do, also. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, and, and you know, another thing that, that gets you excited, Florida, Georgia. I mean, great atmosphere. It's always a game that if you've never been to, if you've never experienced it, you don't know how different it is. And, and hopefully it'll be a good experience for the Gators and the fans this weekend. Uh, we know you guys will be documenting it on FloridaGators.com. Get their stuff on Twitter as well, at Gators Scott, at Gators Chris. Uh, and we will talk about the aftermath of it next week. Guys, thank you so much. Thanks, Adam. I never get excited about driving to Florida, Georgia. Adam. No, it's no. what, but what, but once we get in the parking lot, <laughs> it's it's uh, and, and the walk into the stadium and the rest of the day is usually a good day. Thank you very much. If you're drawn to compete in high-level athletics for the fame and glory, you probably shouldn't be a long snapper. Despite performing one of the most specialized and important operations in the field, few fans or outsiders will ever notice that position or the individuals who excel in the role. For Florida, that job has been claimed by redshirt junior Marco Ortiz, and as is often the case with players of lesser stature we feature on this show, he has a very unique story to tell. So I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. I have my mom and dad. So my mom's from Dallas, Texas, and my dad's from El Paso, Texas. And then I have uh, an older sister. She lives in Richmond, Virginia right now. She's a social worker. And uh, my brother, he is a Black Hawk pilot for the Army. Wow. Uh, he, he moves around. So right now he's in Fort Rucker, Alabama. And then I have an identical twin brother who long snaps at TCU. Yeah, that's the part of your story that uh, I was going <laughs> to get to. It, but si- since yeah, you took us there, let's let's just go right to it. Um, what is it like having an, an identical twin? Is it fun? Is it, I mean, has, has your feeling of having an identical twin changed over the years? It's been awesome having a twin. Honestly, I don't really know how I would have, I would go through life without a twin. It's just been so awesome because it's just like a built-in best friend. So we always just did everything together. And when it came to snapping, you know, I just had always had someone to snap to. I didn't have to snap to like a net or a wall or anything like other snappers have to. And it's been cool now that we're both in college and snapping. So I just always have someone to talk to that always that can relate to me and knows what I'm going through. So, yeah, it's been awesome having a twin. And I'm so happy to have him in my life. I remember I went to high school with a couple of identical twins. Their names were Mark and Scott, right? And they had jackets that said Mark and Scott. And they they wouldn't say for sure, but they suggested that sometimes they would switch jackets and maybe one of the guys, maybe Mark would go take a test that Scott didn't want to take and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I, I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but were there any were there any cases of you guys intentionally swapping places um, for for a particular reason? Unfortunately, no, we did not do that. We you've were never you've never once pretended to be your brother, not even once. Well, we did, and uh, like when he got to TCU, and when I came to visit, I pretended to be him and like walked into the room, and they they didn't notice, like his friends <laughs> didn't notice. But like back in like high school and stuff, no, we never switched. We we're just kind of always like the good kids. We didn't want to get in trouble, but also our close friends could just tell us apart. Like if you're around us for a while, there are some differences that you'll catch on to. So this is another important question. Did you guys wear matching outfits frequently? Because <laughs> that, that always confused me too, when, when twins would wear the same thing. Well, in high school, we actually went to a private school and we had to wear a uniform. Uh, <laughs> so, you, so you did wear had, the same thing. 
so we did but growing <laughs> up i i would my favorite color was green and his was blue so that was like a big way for our friends to tell us apart uh so like all my clothes were green pretty much and his are blue <laughs> okay so this, we, we found something here something to go off of um so okay so you mentioned that you guys are both long snappers how how did that happen? How does one? I don't know how even one person becomes a long snapper, let alone two people become long snappers. Yeah, it's definitely kind of unheard of to have uh, twin long snappers. But um, so we played football in high school and we played tight end and DN, but we weren't really getting the playing time we wanted. Uh, like our freshman, sophomore, and junior year. Uh, so, but our team needed a long snapper. So we just kind of hopped in because our, our dad long snapped in high school. So he kind of taught us like the basics and we were okay at it. Um, but then the end of our junior year, when we, we really, we really wanted to play college football at a big school, but we, we didn't have the film that we needed. So we talked to our dad and he talked about long snapping and how we can go to college doing that. So my brother and I did the research and we found Rubio long snapping we went to a camp like a couple weeks later and got ranked 11th and 12th in the country. And ever since that day, we just started snapping every single day, working hard to get better and better. So by the time it came to our senior year, a few months later, we were the top five snappers in the country, getting looked at by all these power five division one schools that we always dreamed of playing for. And now we're, we're here at Florida and TCU, and it's just been an awesome experience. You mentioned your dad, and he had a football background as well. What role did he play in your your development and your brother's football development as well? He always pushed us to work hard, and he knew we both wanted to play at the next level. So, And he played at um, University of Texas at Arlington, so he kind of knew what it takes to get to that level. But since he snapped in high school and was pretty good at it, uh, he was able to help us get ready for our first camp. And then from there, he just helped us get to the next level. And you guys, uh, you're not, you know, someone would look at me and they'd be like, oh, like that guy's not an athlete, right? I don't look like an athlete. I mean, you guys, you're six four. I mean, you're, you guys are, you're pretty you know, physically imposing. Um, yeah. What other sports did you compete in? Were you, were you kind of an all world athlete type? Yeah, we played pretty much every sport growing up. But then once we got to high school, we pretty much just focused on football, basketball, and then we threw the discus for our track and field team. But uh, we football was just like the main thing we wanted to do. Basketball was just kind of we liked playing together. And it was always fun playing with Antonio because we just always had that twin connection. Like I just always knew where he was and he always knew where I was on the court. So we always had these we would make these cool plays that people didn't really understand how we did. Uh, but then as we got older, it's just football is what we focused on. I'm fascinated by the twin connection because I know it sometimes it can it can manifest in weird ways. You guys are, you know, halfway across the country from each other now. What are what are some examples of when that that twin connection happens where it's like you're thinking something, you text him right the moment he's calling you? Like, have there been any eerie things where you just you just have to chalk it up to that that twin connection? Well, people always joke that, you know, they always ask, can, twin feel, can twins feel each other's pain? I mean, like, no, we can't do that. But uh, <laughs> there have been times where, yeah, I'll say something to him and then he'll text me and be like, bro, I was literally just about to say that to you or like vice versa <laughs> or like, oh, I think it was the other day. 
I sent a text, like someone of his friends or something. And then like, he ended up saying like the same exact thing, like the same exact words, emojis and everything to his friends. So it was just kind of funny. We like say the same exact things. Hmm. Growing up though, there would be times where like we're together and then like in my head, I'm about to say something, but then I'm like, oh, actually, I'm not going to say it. And then literally like a second later, Antonio <laughs> would just say exactly what I just thought of. And it, it was always just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was funny. <laughs> So I, I guess the idea of, of long snapping is that's a pretty unique spot that there's only one of those guys on the field, right? So it would have been hard for you to play at, at the same place. Was it hard to split up, though, when you're doing everything together? Did you guys try and think of ways you could go to the same school and maybe maybe you could do discus and he could long snap or you'd find <laughs> something else you guys could both do? Well, in high school, we just did like one game. I'd do punts and then he would do field goals and then we flipped. But um we always talked about how like I, I wanted to be a punter because I, I just always enjoyed punting and I was I was pretty good at it, uh, but I never actually went to camps to do it. But we always talk about today how like it would have been so fun to be like Antonio could snap and I could be his punter. That way we could go to the same school. Mm-hmm. But no, once we started snapping in high school, we just kind of knew that we were going to end up splitting up, which I mean, it, it, it sucked at first, but in the long run we both are happy that we're, we're doing it because we're able to just both be on our own and live our own lives because we're not always going to be together and mm-hmm. so I think this has just been a great experience for both of us being split up. You mentioned that that long snapping was going to give you the opportunity to go to some of the schools you'd always dreamed of. What was that process like because you guys are not of the you know the top five players in the country and everyone's talking about on rivals and whatnot so how yeah. do you go about getting recruited especially if you're someone who's not necessarily going to get a scholarship so with long snapping you have to go to uh, camps like we went to rubia long snapping but there are other ones like coles and uh, like corn blue there's a bunch of them out there but we just happen to choose rubia long snapping and you just go to these camps like we went to the regional camp in North Carolina, and then we went to the one in Vegas where there's a lot more snappers from all over the country. And then from there, we just got invited to the top 12 camp where there's like 40 snappers, and we all compete for the top 12 spots, so the top 12 snappers in the country. But uh, recruiting is different for us. Like a lot of the coaches just rely on the camps and the – like Rubio, he runs the camps at Rubio Long Snapping, so like coaches would – hit him up and just like talk to him about snappers he has that are good and ready to go to the next level. So, so somehow like they, like for me, like my old coach, coach Murphy uh, got in touch with Rubio and they, he found me and my brother and they have, I happened to be the one to come here because my brother went to CCU, but yeah, that's pretty much how it happens with recruiting and long snapping. You don't get all the big offers. Like right. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, you, you don't get the hype, but your job is very important, right? And that's a job yeah, that sure. it's it's one of those things where no one probably thinks about it unless something goes wrong. So it's, it's I guess it's kind yeah, of a thankless definitely. role in a lot of ways. Um, what what are the toughest parts of, of the job itself? Because every time I see it again, it's just when it's talk, when you're talking about operation, right? You're talking about extra points. Feel, it's always you just assume it's going to work. Yeah. And then if you stop and think about it, you're like, man, that that could easily go wrong. And that derails everything. Yeah, there's a lot more to it than people think. Like, I think one thing that people don't really understand is, like, the field goals. Uh, my job is to not only have a good snap, like, location-wise, but I have to get the laces perfect on top so the holders has to catch it and put it down. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say one of the hardest things to be a, a snapper is just consistency and accuracy. Cause yeah, you do the same thing over and over and over again. And like you said, you can't mess up or else that's when people will notice you and you don't want people to no- notice you. Uh, right. So that's just one thing I've been working on. And as I've been here at Florida, I've uh, gotten way better and way more consistent, and accurate. And that's part of the reason why I'm the starting snapper this year. This is something I often ask offensive linemen about as well, because they feel like it's similar. You have an essential job, but if you're getting attention, it usually means that you've done something wrong. So in, in a sport and in a game that is so much about glory and about, you know, the hype and getting all the attention, how do you get satisfaction when you really can't get that same thing that, you know, that Emery can get or, you know, or, or, or even that, uh, that, that Jeremy can get if he like bombs a punt. What's the psychology of that for you, at least? Um, honestly, I don't really mind not getting the attention. Uh, I kind of just whenever the field goal is made or when Jeremy hits a really good punt, I just kind of like the excitement that they have. Like, I kind of just feel it through them. Like, I don't really need the recognition, but it is nice every once in a while to uh, get that recognition. Like I did a few weeks ago when I got put on scholarship. Like, that was awesome to have them post a video about it and everything on their social media. But that was kind of just a one-time thing. Like, I I don't really need that uh, attention anymore. You stole my thunder because that's the next thing I was going to ask you about (laughs) is about getting put on scholarship. So tell, I mean, tell us about that. Was this completely unexpected? Tell us the story. I'm sure you remember it. You know, it's probably remember that everything that yeah. happened right before and afterwards. Take us through that that moment. Yeah, it was definitely unexpected. Uh, it was just a typical uh, Monday team meeting after the Tennessee game. And every time on Monday, he hands out these like champions dog tags. Uh, it's based on your performance if you grade out a champion and they were going through the special teams champions and he didn't call my name and so in my head I was just like what like are you serious like I I literally had perfect snaps like I made all the right calls like no missed assignments or anything so I was a little frustrated but um as it kept going I saw my I saw coach Graham he was like trying to get uh, JC's attention to like tell him like they forgot me like I saw him like doing his hands like four or five, like you missed four or five. <laughs> uh, so then I, I, I was relieved when I saw that. I was like, okay, they're going to get me the champions. Uh, so at the end, very end of the meeting, Coach Mullen realized he missed somebody. And so like he said my name and my stats and that I graded out a champion. So I went up to meet him where he normally meets us, but he was still at the podium. And so at that moment, I had a good feeling that something was going to happen. And it was just awesome when he uh, said that I deserved the scholarship more than just getting the dog tag. That was just awesome because I know that I've been waiting, I've been working so hard for that, and to have it finally come is just an amazing experience. And what does that mean too? Because I feel like most people just you just assume that all football players in college are on scholarship and they don't you know yeah. everything they need is taken care of. What is the so today? What is the tangible difference for you today as a scholarship athlete as opposed to a walk-on? I mean, it makes a huge difference. Like, my parents don't have to pay for out-of-state tuition at Florida. Uh, But, I mean, as a player, like, from a a mental aspect, it really doesn't change much for me because I've always kind of acted as if I was, like, 
on scholarship and just, like the starter, like I always worked hard and wanted to be a leader for the specialist group. So nothing's really changed now, but I guess I do feel a lot better knowing that like financially I'm, I'm good and my parents don't have to worry about paying for my tuition or anything else anymore. Um, but uh, I'm definitely just going to keep working hard like I've been doing and leading the specialist group. That's ultimately what I wanted to do and be that starter and the guy as a long snapper. In terms of the day-to-day for you guys, what are what are your practices like? I mean, is it just repetition, repetition? I'm just trying to, to picture what it is that you guys do because I'm, in my head, it's like, I don't know, you probably have to snap 500 balls, right? Just like take 100 free throws. I mean, is it, what 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 goes into it? I mean, every day we have like punt and field goal, but after like those periods, I usually get like a little bit of work, like extra work in, but at this point it's kind of, you can't just like snap, kick and punt all practice or else it'll just be worn out. So you kind of just have to get some reps in to you feel good and then good and confident for the next game. And then you just kind of have to rely on your muscle memory. Like you can't just overdo it. So yeah, it's a lot different than other positions where they can just do the same thing over and over and over again. Like we have to kind of shut it down after a little bit every day. You're coming to Florida, as you noted, uh, it's out of state. It was expensive. It wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't easy. Um, what ultimately made Florida the right place for you when it, it, there was, you know, it wasn't just to choose blank college and you have this, it'll be the same cost, the same impact in your family. Obviously you had to really, you had to really want to come to Florida and, and invest in, in being a Gator. So what was it that, uh, that sold you on it? Well, Florida is just is a great school academically. That was just one of the big things that I was looking for. Um, and then Coach Mullen, uh, that was my first year was his first season, and I knew that we were going to have a great coaching staff and turn the program around. So I was looking for, looking forward to playing for a school that or a program that's top or top ten academically and athletically. So those are the big things. I mean, that I was looking for, and you have had that for me. Very important question. Is your brother on scholarship? <laughs> yes, he is. He's uh, He actually started as a freshman and got put on scholarship his sophomore year. So it's been it's been cool watching him, uh, you know, shine over there at TCU and just, just balling out and snapping dimes all the time. Uh, <laughs> but obviously, it was kind of hard to watch sometimes because I wished I could be out there too, but it's all good now. Like we're both just living our dreams and snapping footballs at D1 level. So it's been awesome. Couple final questions for you. You mentioned being a leader of the specialists, not being important to you. That group just seems to have a ton of fun. Uh, all the shenanigans on the sideline. I mean, I, the, the juice boys, I mean, <laughs> tell me, tell me about what, what goes into these shenanigans. How much planning is there? Do you guys, where do you take inspiration from? Are you on TikTok? Like, where do the ideas come from for these crazy things that, that we see on the sidelines? Well, with the Juice Boys and stuff, that a big part of that is uh, Tyler Waxman, our uh, backup punter and kicker. He's he's hilarious. He just always has all these great ideas for how we can bring juice to the sidelines and stuff. But yeah, we always just try to have a good time, especially at practice after we get our work done because and in games because it's important that you know we don't take it too seriously we got to have fun and just kind of know that we are specialists but our jobs are important so whenever we get our jobs done 
we're good, but we also have to know when and we can have fun. But yeah, Tyler Waxman, he's a big part of what makes us so uh, unique this year, especially with all the attention he's getting, like the bicycle, like he's making it on like Sports Center and all those things. So yeah, it's been awesome. What, what's been your, your favorite bit that you guys have done? And what is a, a future bit that you're looking forward to? I think one of the one of the funniest things I've seen is uh, when Ryan Farr, he was a snapper my freshman year when he like he went undercover and was trying to get the whole team. That's uh, right. And I, I remember I don't even think I recognized him. I think I just <laughs> like just signed his autograph or signed my autograph and just kept moving on. But yeah, that That's was right at fan, at fan day. Right. He went to all the tables at fan day. Yeah, that was, yeah. <laughs> that was funny. How do you top that? So, you you know, now you're. You're entering the the twilight of your career. So what is uh, how are you going to leave your mark, your lasting mark on the the specialist shenanigans? You know, I don't know. I'm definitely going to have to get the group together, and we'll have to come up with something special these next this next half of the season. So you'll have to see. Maybe you'll That's see right. on the sidelines or something. May, leaving leaving us in suspense. Um, yeah. Final thing for you. You talked about long snapping basically as a vehicle to get to a major college football program. Uh, is that also something that you and your brother view as a way to get to the NFL? Do you want to keep doing this or was the goal to get to college and then pivot from there? The goal is definitely to get to the NFL for both of us. Uh, and I think like when you look at other positions, like there are so many other athletes that like NFL teams are looking at, but like for when it comes to snapping, there's only one starter on each team, not like, multiple and so I think it's easier to stand out I guess that's what I'm trying to say like me and my brother I think have a good shot if we just keep working hard and yeah that is the goal to go to the NFL and hopefully that works out but even if it doesn't we're still just very happy that we got to play in college and we hope to one day continue working with snappers in the future and training kids so that they can fulfill their dreams of playing college football at the next level since we know how much of an impact that long standing had on us in our lives. Yeah, it's very cool. I love it. Paying it forward. Um, yeah. well, Marco, thank you so much for your time. I hope I didn't give you too many bad ideas about switching places and getting in trouble. Just forget <laughs> that whole part happened. Um, but good luck to you the rest of the year. And, and thanks again for talking to us. All right. Thank you so much. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.